I was thinking, what was it like to be part of the early church? Hearing about Jesus from those that had seen firsthand what he could do. What would have been like to be there at Pentecost to feel the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit? To be taught by people who had lived with Jesus, who ate with him, who spent time with him. They were in his presence all day, every day for three years. How amazing would it have been? My thoughts then started to wonder, what would it have been like to live in a place where living out Christ's example was so threatening to the ruling bodies that Christians were imprisoned and made to stop? Since then, Christianity has spread throughout the world. It's been passed across cultures, across nations. It's seen abuse, it's seen persecution, it's seen hard times, but it's also seen great times of growth and revival where the message of God's love has spread. Through all this, I wonder what's changed. We often say to each other, time flies, or I just don't know where that week's gone. Time moves quickly, and things change equally fast. Um, I was mowing my lawn the other day and saw a little girl playing out in the street on a bike. And it made me think of my mum's mum's mum, my great-grandmother. She's nanny grandma to us, and she recently celebrated her 102nd birthday. <laughs> She's got an amazing faith and spends a lot of her time praying. She can't read the Bible so much now because of her eyesight, but um, despite her faith, she's very annoyed with God. She thinks she's got the order completely wrong and gets very annoyed when people call before her, uh, called to him before her. She thinks there's a lot of cougar jumping going along. <laughs> The little girl I saw outside on a bike will grow up in a completely different world to my great-nan. It's incredible to think that at the same age, my great-nan would have experienced life without crossword puzzles, stainless steel, the pop-up toaster, spiral-bound notebooks, frozen food, traffic lights, monopoly, (laughs) tape recorders, photocopiers, mobile phones, how mental that, uh, McDonald's, computers, and silly putty. The list goes on. And that's just the material things. How has culture moved on since then, in the past hundred years? The access to information, the spread of knowledge and ideas, the evolution of thought movements. Now, let's extrapolate that to 2,000 years. We can then start to think how different things were for the early church. What were they doing? What sort of things have changed since then? And what are the important things that have stayed the same? So what was it like? Of course, the best way to find out what the early church was like would have been to be there. But we can't do that. So the next best thing is to go to the New Testament. And it's an amazing resource that we've been given. It's got four books devoted to Jesus' life, a book about the early believers. It's then got lots of letters about mentoring and guidance to the early church from one of the most intelligent and passionate people that ever lived for God. I feel really blessed to have these books. Many of the letters were written um, by a really passionate and influential Christian. He steered the course of Christianity. The book of Acts is where the story of life physically without Jesus begins for the um, disciples. It's there we are told Jesus' final command. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. My father's going to give you an amazing gift. They misunderstand this. They think he's going to restore Jerusalem to its former glory. He, uh, he has to clarify this and go, no, you're missing the point. You're not to know the times or the dates. 
Um, that's not important. I've got this great gift for you. You're going to receive power and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be able to bear incredible witness to my name and take this gospel to the ends of the world. An amazing gift. Would the apostles have really understood what was coming? Do we really understand what this gift is, what this means for us, to us, right now? The availability of the Holy Spirit's power was Jesus' great departing gift to us, the early church, and for us now, 2,000 years on. It suddenly became that not only a select few people in the Old Testament could get the power of the Holy Spirit, um, Moses realized the power that the Holy Spirit gave him and cried out in the desert, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Saul and David were also important figures. Um, Saul got the Holy Spirit when he was anointed as king. But he lost the Holy Spirit. He sinned against God and sinned and sinned and sinned until the Holy Spirit departed from him. David had the Holy Spirit and he got worried that the Holy Spirit had left him after he committed adultery and had somebody killed. Um, He says in Psalm 51, Don't cast me from your presence, God, or take your Holy Spirit from me. He knew how powerful the Holy Spirit was. From Pentecost onwards, all believers, not just God's chosen few, but everyone who um, accepted Jesus, could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They had access to all these amazing gifts. Um, God promised his wisdom. He promised knowledge. He promised the ability to to discern spirits, good from bad. He promised speaking in tongues, interpreting those tongues, prophecy, faith, the working of miracles, healing, giving, leadership, mercy, administration, and evangelism. Once an individual could, um, had received the Holy Spirit and was using the gifts God gave them, God then said, right, well now you've got the Holy Spirit working in you, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be loving, joyful people. You're going to be peaceful and patient. You're going to be kind and good and gentle and tender And you're going to have self-control. And can we be sure that these gifts are for all of us? I think we can. At Pentecost, Peter stood up and quoted Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Are the fruits of the spirit evident in your lives? Think of what an abundance of the fruits of the spirit um, could do to the people that you came into contact with. How could they affect change in this church? How could we reach the lost in Hal's Owen and further afield if we could use God's gift of the fruits to the full? It would be great, wouldn't it? When we become Christians, our journey begins in growing in faith in Christ. I believe we need the Holy Spirit to grow. When we're feeling empty, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling like we've backslidden, when we're feeling like God's a million miles from us, there's room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. But at the same time, when we're on fire for God, when we're telling everyone we know about Jesus, when we love him and when we feel like he's close, there's still room for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, When we ask God for the Holy Spirit, he promises he'll give it to us. Um, In Matthew 7, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. At Pentecost, when the believers received the Holy Spirit, 
They spoke in tongues. They could communicate with all the people from all the different nations around them. But we also see different gifts of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke 4, he resisted Satan's temptation in the desert. When Elizabeth was filled in the Holy Spirit, she spoke blessings to Mary. When Zechariah received the Holy Spirit again in Luke 1, he prophesied. The most powerful preaching in the New Testament was done when the speaker was filled with the Holy Spirit. For example, Stephen, when he was just about to be stoned, he gave an amazing talk to his executors. The early believers could spread the gospel. They gained wisdom and maturity and sound judgment. The more of the Holy Spirit we have, the greater our understanding of what Jesus did for us and the deeper our love for God and others become. When this happens, we're so much more effective in witnessing to non-Christians, in showing love to them. Ladies and gentlemen, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing. It's something that continually happens throughout our walk with God. So one thing that hasn't changed from the early church is the Holy Spirit. How did the early church live out their faith? In Acts 4, we read, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Reading this, we can see that they're living out Jesus' command to us in Luke 6. When he's asked, what's the most important command? Um, First he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind. Secondly, he says, love your neighbour as yourself. And everything that has ever been taught hangs off these two commandments. So what does this mean for us? How can we make sure that we love God more than ourselves, our cars, our houses, our jobs, our family, ourselves, our cat? How do we ensure that God is number one, our passion? And then to love our neighbours as ourselves. Firstly, we have to give God all the glory, the praise and the honour. We have to present our bodies as living sacrifice, like we sang in one of those worship songs. Um, We have to treat others in the way that we want to be treated, but then go further than that. We have to deny ourselves so that others may have. This is how we bear witness to Christ. We show people that we care for them as much as Jesus cared for us. Jesus laid down his life so that we can live. What parts of our lives can we lay down to show this level of love to our neighbours? Can we give more to the food bank? Can we volunteer for charity? Can we put our spare time to good work? What we can certainly do is pray for our eyes to be open to the need around us. It's very easy to see the beggar on the street and walk past them without giving them a second glance. We need to pray for our hearts to be ready to respond to what we see. We're a long way off from living like this, and we're certainly not going to get to a point of loving our neighbour as much as ourselves without the Holy Spirit. I know Leon's told this story before, but I think it's a good challenge to us and worth hearing again. It's the one about John Wesley's income and how much he gave away to the poor. And this is how it happened. 
While he was studying at Oxford uh, in 1731, an incident changed his perspective on money. He'd just finished paying for some pictures for his room when one of the chambermaids came to his door. It was a cold winter day, and he noticed she had nothing to protect her except a thin linen gown. He reached into his pocket to give her some money to buy a coat, but he found he had too little left. He immediately thought that the Lord was not pleased with the way he'd spent his money. He asked himself, Will thy master say, Well done, good and faithful steward. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? He earned 30 pounds that year, and he was, he was touched by God to give away whatever he had spare to, um, to the poor, and he gave away two pounds. And he pledged to live his life like this. He was a gentleman and was expected to live life at a certain level, but denied himself basics like silverware and new clothes to give, um, to, give to the poor. He said that he never had more than ten pounds in his pocket. He gave it away straight away. At the height of his earnings, he earned £1,400, of which he lived on £30 and gave the rest away to the poor. Many of us have made sacrifices for the third place, but how many of us have really missed the things that we've given up? It's going to be really easy to, give, to stop giving in December when the two years are up, but I'd really encourage you that if you're able to, carry on giving so important for your spiritual life to not have money as the main focus in your life. So what were the characteristics of the early church? It wasn't a safe, organized religion. It was edgy, it was underground. The early believers would have been on fire to share the gospel, the good news, with the people around them. It was countercultural. Within the Roman Empire... If they told their family, fellow Jews, they could be thrown out of their families. They could have been rejected. They could have been accused for blaspheming God and um, the, the Jewish religion, which led to stoning. It was a punishable offense by death. On the other hand, the Christian message was a threat to the Roman leaders. Um, daily you would have been overflowing with God and wanting to tell people, but have to be guided by the Spirit at the same time. If you told the wrong person, you ended up in prison. But then if you did end up in prison, you had to trust God that that was his will. It took people to a whole different level of faith. At each underground meeting, at each church service you went to, there'd be people there that were there last week but weren't there this week. They'd been arrested and imprisoned and tortured. But then there'd be new people there that had been invited along and been called to come. It was fast-moving, it was life-changing, but it was also dangerous. <laughs> We've come a long then since then. We've come a long way since then. In this country, we have it really easy. Um, I get an email regularly from Christian Solidarity Worldwide, and often receive prayer emails from Christians who are being persecuted. Just in the past month, I've had emails from um, prayer requests from Egypt, from China. Um, in China, a church has just spent the equivalent of two and a half million pounds on a new building, and the government have made the local officials not give the keys over. So they've got nowhere to meet, and they can't meet outside because the Chinese authorities come and break them up. 
In Colombia, a pastor and a 14-year-old daughter has just been killed by, um, by drug lords. Again, Cuba, Iran. It's really important for us to remember our brothers and sisters around the world. We're all one body. Currently, Christians are the most persecuted religion in the world. And over 200 million Christians in at least 60 countries are denied fundamental human rights because of their faith. I'd never want to wish persecution on any um, church or submit anyone to the horrors of that. But it does seem that Christianity grows the fastest under persecution. I would pray, though, that we'd be ready for God to do whatever he needs to do in this church to see um, the gospel spread. Let's just imagine what it would be like to live in a place like that, where if we all came here this morning, we'd walk out the doors and be arrested. Bulldozers would come and knock down this church where we couldn't talk openly about Jesus, where our Bibles would be confiscated from us. Now, if those barriers were lifted suddenly, what would our freedoms be? What would we do? Would we go out and tell everyone we knew? Would we suddenly rejoice that we could freely worship God in public and not be arrested? Do we really appreciate the freedom that we have? If we thought about it more, would we be more inclined to go and start up those conversations with our non-believing friends and family and colleagues? So in the midst of this persecution, what was the church like? The church had been growing rapidly and spreading since Jesus died and rose again. In the early days, there was no established norm. There was no, we've always sung this hymn to start with, and I've always sat in this seat. (laughs) The early believers had had to go on what the Holy Spirit led them and what Jesus had taught them years before. The very first thing we learn about the early church in Acts 1 is that they met together in a small group in an upstairs room. Um, So what did they do? Did they have a witty icebreaker? Did they have a social? In verse 14, we're told, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Of all the things that we're told about this life group, of all the things that have been passed down for two millennia, we're told that they prayed. Do we underestimate the power of prayer? Do we sometimes get to prayer time in life group and kind of want to disengage? We're a bit tired. It's been a long day. I feel we really need to dig in with prayer and embed embed it into us if we're going to see change in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. I have to admit, I'm not the greatest of prayers. I sometimes hear other people pray and think that they've just come back from writing a section of the Psalms. Um, (laughs) But I know that God doesn't need lengthy prayers. He tells us, um, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then he says, do not babble on. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you're going to pray for before you pray. All God wants for us is our honesty. He wants us to know what's going on in our lives. And even if we don't tell him, he does know. But he wants that dialogue with him. Prayer can change the world that we're in. There's many examples where the church were praying with great effect. Um, Peter and John pray for boldness. 
And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed for each other in times of need. When Peter was in prison, the church were praying for him. And then he miraculously escaped by the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church did signs and wonders after prayer. They prayed for healing. They prayed for the raising of the dead. They prayed for knowledge about God. And they prayed that their works would bear good fruit. Not all prayer leads to results that we want. But we're told nonetheless in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. We pray from our hearts and tell God what we want. But sometimes God doesn't meet our wants. Even when Jesus prayed before he was crucified, he told God what he wanted. He wanted this cup of suffering to be passed from him. Why do you think God denied Jesus' request then? When Claire and I were going off on honeymoon, um, we were staying at a hotel at the airport. And before we went away, we, made a, we were praying, and we made a list of long-term prayer points, um, issues in families' lives in our family's life and friend's life and situations that needed to be resolved. Uh, Some of the situations haven't been resolved the way we thought God would want them to be. Others have, but most are still waiting God's response. We're going to continue to pray without ceasing, but God knows what he's doing. In their church groups, they remembered Jesus' sacrifice by breaking bread together. It was important to them, as it, um, as it is now to remember Jesus' sacrifice to us. They studied scripture, and they were aware of prophecy. When they were meeting that first time in that small group, um, Peter was talking about Judas Iscariot and said, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. He just recalled two random passages of scripture Um, that were prophecies and knew straight away that he needed to fulfill them. We've got prophecies in this church. Do we know how to fulfill them on an individual level? Do we look for ways we can do that? Do we even know what they are? The church preached and shared Christ with each other. Peter and John spoke to onlookers in the temple. They spoke to crowds when they performed signs and miracles. They preached in their town centres, they preached in their churches, they spoke to believers. seems that wherever they went and whatever they did, they were always asking God for a way to show Jesus' power and spread the gospel to non-believers. They also worshipped, they sang together. We don't have any specific examples of them sitting in church and singing, but they sang together in prison, so I think we can assume that they must have sang when they weren't in prison. So what's the key thing that's similar to today? The church had problems. The majority of the New Testament is made up of books containing letters to churches to mentor them and to correct them and to guide them. If we just take one of those letters, um, Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, we can see that in chapter 1 they were having issues with Wisdom, in chapter 3, sexual sin, in chapter 5, immorality, in chapter 6, bringing fellow believers to court, in chapter 7, marriage and divorce, chapter 11, male and female roles in church and abusing the Lord's Supper, in chapter 12, spiritual gifts, 13, lack of love, chapter 14, speaking in tongues, chapter 15, false teachings about the resurrection of the dead. We still see these problems in the church today. 
some in this church, some in other churches. Um, just last week, Howard Camping managed to get the word to millions of people that the world was going to end at 6.45 in every time zone. And for paying for this talk, I was kind of hoping that it would. <laughs> Jesus didn't play a role in the prediction. He didn't play a role in the mocking of the people who'd fallen for the, um, for the false teaching. But Jesus was in the people who set up those post-rapture helplines, the people who got beside those people that had been conned to support them. We can show Jesus' love, even if it's through events started by false teachers. If we can stay in touch with the Holy Spirit and be continually filled, we're guided on these problems that can creep into our lives and into our church. Do you notice from the list of problems in Corinth, they all seem to stem from a lack of the Holy Spirit? So how do we know what's real and fake in the church? I go to the gym. I haven't been as much as I like to go, but uh, the intention's always there. When I go, I spend some time on the treadmill. I spend some time rowing. I spend some time on the cross trainer. But it's simulated exercise. My body gets tired. Um, my muscles feel like they've had a workout. And I get sweaty doing it. Um, but I'm not going anywhere. The real versions of these things are so much more exciting. Um, compare running on the treadmill with running through forests and woodland, um, kayaking down whitewater rivers, skiing down mountains and hiking back up them. There's something so much more when we, do the, when we put ourselves out there and do the real versions of these simulated things. I believe that in the church, when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it can feel like the gym workout. We do all the right actions... Uh, we come to church, we sing out our worship, we try to read our Bible, but we're just going through the motions. It, it gets us good at going through the motions, but we miss out on a whole exciting side of the Christian life. I believe Jesus wants more for us than that. He wants us to be doing the real thing, being taken to exciting places, not just looking like we're good Christians. When we, um, a few weeks ago, it was my birthday and Claire and Matt and Sarah took me camping to Snowdon as a surprise. Um, being Wales, the, the, the weather forecast said, patchy rain in between sunny spells. Uh, and as it was Wales, it turned out to be um, lots of heavy rain with a few patches of light rain. We got soaked and cold and wet and we didn't get to the top of Snowdon and we even abandoned camping. It was a great time though and even though it didn't quite go to plan, we, we, had, um, we were doing the real thing. Because we weren't spending the time on a stepping machine in the gym, and we were actually climbing a mountain, there was a chance that things couldn't go right, that, that the weather closed in. There was even a chance of injury. When we put ourselves out there in our Christian lives, we expose ourselves to some amazing experiences some great works for God, but also to some danger. What's important that we need to trust God in whatever we do? If something doesn't work out one time, um, but you feel it was of God, that God was calling you to have that conversation with somebody, maybe he wants you to give it another shot, even though the weather closed in the first time you tried it. In thinking about the early church, we've looked at what it was like, its characteristics, and what's similar to today. Um, as the band comes back up, I want us to remember that we, the congregation of the church, to be effective as God's people, 
we need to do what he commanded us to do. We need to go out and make disciples of all nations. We need to be filled up and sorted from the inside. I'd like to encourage you all to pray for more of the Spirit to work in your lives. Ask God to be filled. Ask him for more spiritual gifts. Ask that you'd have the faith to use these great gifts he gives us daily, fully, and as God intended. Be continually filled so that when we meet Jesus face to face, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant.